Welcome to Melanated Faith, a podcast about faith and culture. On this podcast, you're going to hear the truth spoken, the tea spilled, and pop culture explored by your co-host, Faith and Catherine. This is a special edition in honor of our friend Tasha Morrison's book, Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. We thought we would give you a little taste of her book, give you some of our thoughts, and why you should purchase it. Let's dive in. Hi guys, welcome back. Today we're discussing chapter four, removing the roadblocks to reconciliation. Now, this is really important part of the reconciliation process. I think one of the things before you get started, you want to identify roadblocks. Just when you're like you're on your way to somewhere, you want to know what roads to avoid, um, what roads you're going to, what are the conditions of the roads you're going to have to deal with. Um, And two big ones um, that Tasha spends discussing in this chapter are um, shame and guilt and their presence and their effect and when we talk about reconciliation. Faith, why don't you tell us a little bit about how shame and guilt can operate sometimes um, as roadblocks to reconciliation? Okay, so shame and guilt are super huge roadblocks in this work. So when I have led um, Be the Bridge groups in the past, um, one of the groups that I had, we were talking about just some instances where we have um experienced racism and or grown up hearing things, you know, like racist things or were taught racist things. And so most of the group, when I saw in one time, most of the black people were speaking and um, this group, we just had black people and white people in it. And all the black people were sharing their experience and the white people were just sitting in silence. And I finally said, hey, this is a two-way conversation in a no judgment zone, but just like we're um, sharing our experiences and what we've experienced with racism, you too have to jump in with vulnerability and share your experiences because it's not just going to be us sharing and you guys not saying anything. And so they're like, oh, okay, like, but, and maybe, you know, several disclaimers, like, but we're sorry and we don't think like this and, and you know, like all of these things. And finally got to a point where they're like, okay, look, like my dad taught me X, Y, and Z. And I realize now that was racist. It took time for them to get past the shame and the guilt of what they had been taught to speak it out and to share and then begin to find some healing and freedom in that. Um, But they had to, they had to acknowledge it. They had to say it. And, um, And it was hard for them to do so. So I want to read to you guys um, a part from the book on page 67 where it talks about shame and guilt because Tasha explains it perfectly. Um, It says, shame and guilt are powerful motivators. In the context of racial reconciliation, shame and guilt often compel majority culture to cover up and whitewash sins. A sense of shame may prompt non-white groups to hide generations of humiliation, a feeling all minorities I speak with understand. But to build bridges of racial reconciliation, we'll need to confront the guilt and shame of our collective past. We'll need to see those responses to the uncomfortable. Woo. That's so good. So good. I think that's so true. I think, you know, and I think it's 
so smart that Tasha presented shame and guilt as roadblocks because I think oftentimes the conversation stops with that, right? Like, oh, I feel so bad. And we can't fully get into what it means to be reconciled is if you are kind of stuck in your feelings, as Drake would say. Like, you can't be in your feelings. <laughs> like, we have to, like, talk about it. <laughs> we got we to gotta get out of that. Uh, because otherwise the conversation just stops and you're not a full participant. And I think, you know, you know, to quote, like, Will Smith, like, think about your Be The Bridge group as a circle of safety, right? Like, this is a safe space to come and discuss, like, my dad, like you said, my dad taught me this, and I'm realizing now that that's not right. Um, But you can't hide, I guess, in the reconciliation process. And I think oftentimes shame and guilt are just, you know, an excuse to hide. Exactly. And you don't, these conversations, when you really want to lean into the work of reconciliation, this, you're not signing up to be hidden. You're signing up to be exposed. So, um, that's so good. You know, you have to. (laughs) Okay, girl, (laughs) get in my feelings. (laughs) But it's true. This, this process of reconciliation, it's exposing yourself, you know, and this, this doesn't just go for, um, our lighter, brighter friends. Okay. This also goes for those of us, um, minorities as well. Uh, those of us who are in non-white, you know, groups, we, we have to be exposed, um, as well. There's some biases that we all hold, right? So we have to sit yeah. in these tensions. Okay. Because, um, otherwise we're, we will all think that we're, we're exempt and we're not, this is a collective, um, conversation that we need to have. So here's a question I want to throw to you, Catherine. Um, This is what it says. Somebody asked us this. As a woman of color in a predominantly white setting, how do you handle the resistance to the resistance of acknowledgement and lament? And this kind of the resistance as in that shame and guilt usually fuels the resistance. So how do you handle that? Yeah. Um, ooh, this just give me all the hard questions. Um, so I think that what I would say is understanding and laying out in these conversations when you're meeting with people one-on-one that your intent or the goal of the conversation is not to feel shame or guilt, right? Like that might be a byproduct, like you might feel those feelings, but I think when we're talking about in the context of reconciliation, like I want you to understand the gravity of what we're talking about. But I also, it doesn't help me in any way that you just walk around feeling bad about yourself. Right. And like, as a body of Christ, like I want you to be who God wants you to be just as much as you should want me to be who God wants me to be. And you cannot be the fullness of who God is. And we cannot be as a body of Christ, the fullness of who God wants us to be, to be, as Tasha loves to say, a credible witness of the power of the gospel without being fully reconciled to each other. And so we can't be reconciled if you're not willing to be uncomfortable. Um, And I think that you can't force anybody into this conversation. You can't force, you know, people to want to engage in this. And I would just say for my sister, like, pray first. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. that's so Sunday school answer. But, like, there's power in prayer. There's power in calling on the name of Jesus. Um, And you'd be surprised. And I think also, too, like, yeah, setting the ground rules of, like, just making it clear, like, hey, like, we're talking about this, like, my end goal for this conversation is for us to be better, for us to do better, not for you to just feel guilty or feel shame. Um, 
and to say, you know, maybe like, I understand that your parents taught you this or told you this. And have you ever thought that maybe it's not right? And like maybe sharing your own story. I like love one of my very first introductions to Tasha was at If Gathering and she's leading this table and she was like, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. We were always taught that you can't trust white women. And I like cracked up because it's like true. Like you're not from and like for me, I'm like, oh, like obviously as an adult, I know that's not right. Some of my very best friends are white women. I adore them. Um, but you are like, I need to confront that and I need to say that and I need to name that. And, you know, I might feel bad that there was a season of of life where I let that sort of generational teaching kind of affect how I, I deal with, um, my white sisters. And so I would just say, you know, you can't force anything. Like, don't make yourself crazy. I would say, pray about it, you know, letting them know, like, your end goal, like the end goal of this, this journey that we're on is not white people's shame and guilt. It is a reconciled body of Christ that is a credible witness to the unifying power of the gospel that people with nothing else in common can come together under the name of Jesus Christ. And when we see that and we kind of uplift that as the goal, I think maybe that kind of maybe takes a little bit of the sting out of it because it's like, okay, yes, I recognize I might feel guilty, but like I got to push past that into what our end goal is, is spiritual Mm -hmm. maturity, Christian maturity, the, the beautification of the body of Christ. Yeah. 100%. And I also think that one thing that people should be reminded of is that shame, like just sitting in that shame, just think about your life, right? Decisions you've made. Maybe you were upset with yourself about something, like you wish you would have done something differently. Like shame leads you down a pathway of despair and hopelessness. And what we are trying to walk towards is truth and reconciliation. So if you are allowing yourself to be bound by shame and hopelessness, then you're not really able to truly move forward in truth into this conversation. You will maintain the um, the mindset of a victim and you will re- you will maintain the mindset of being um like, you know, even like, oh, well, everybody's after me. Oh, everybody's said this. Oh, I'm just so full. You know, I feel so bad because of what my um, my family did or my ancestors did. And and I don't know if I'm ever really going to be able to um, move past it. Everybody says this about me or, oh, I'm just a I'm just a white man. Everybody's mad at white men right now. Like you have to move past that. You got to move past that shame. You have to move past um, that guilt, whatever it is that you're feeling. Um, otherwise, you're going to be stuck there. And if you want to be a productive part of this conversation, a productive part of truth, a productive part of reconciliation, shame and guilt cannot be the place where you park your car. You can't park your car, sit there and decide that that's just where you want to be. If you do, then you're not ready to go forward in this work in truth and in reconciliation. You just need to, you know, you have to work on yourself right there in that space. I th- And I think also, too, like to bring it back to like shame was introduced into the Garden of of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against Mm -hmm. God, right? So shame was not a part of God's original design for humanity. And shame, like you said, pushes you to hide it, you know, but what we're trying to do for healing, what it has to be brought to the light. Like just as you have to drag your sin and confess it to 
God to be forgiven, you have to pull these things into the light because in the darkness, they're allowed to grow. They're allowed to fester. Shame will keep you trapped in a lot of places. God did not mean for you to be trapped. And this is just one area of where we are allowing shame to trap us in a place where God wants to bring healing. He wants to bring light. He wants to bring justice. He wants to bring love. And so, um, yeah, like I love what you said. Like you cannot allow shame to drive you into a ditch, off the road, out out of the out of put you out for the count. Like you got to push yes. past that to get to the destination. And I think, you know, it's I think we also too want to talk about like individual Tasha kind of talks a little bit about this in the book um about in scripture shame and guilt being communal communal. Like it wasn't just um because I know f- sometimes part of the reconciliation process, it's like some people don't feel guilty or shame because they're like, well, it wasn't me. It was my ancestors. It wasn't me. <laughs> so, it back to that song. <laughs> Shaggy, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. She it was, wasn't like, me. Um, and I think that that is also a cop out and a, ro- a roadblock to reconciliation because we see all the time in scripture where, um, especially in the Old Testament, where the consequences of sin were felt by generations like it talks about you know this will affect to the third and fourth generation um but then also too for like israel like you know i'm reading through the prophets and like ezekiel and jeremiah and there are people israelites that were brought into captivity feeling the shame of feeling abandoned by god because of things that their ancestors had done and being disobedient to god's call um and so i think when you look at the example of scripture the idea that sometimes shame and guilt only belongs to the people, the perpetrators of the original offense is not biblical. And mm-hmm. so I think I would say even to the people who, you know, get off where they are like, oh, I've personally never done anything racist. So I don't know why you want me to apologize or why I have to lament or be a part of this process. Like I would say, you know, that might be something worth reevaluating and like going back and just like searching scripture for every, you know, example of where people who necessarily didn't commit the sin or weren't disobedient felt the consequences of that Mm. um previous generations disobedience because there are a lot when you start looking yes i was gonna say for generations okay felt the consequences for For generations. generations and i think that's just something we all like you know, you got to keep that in your mind you know you just because you quote unquote didn't do it you, there are still effects from it. You know, you're still benefiting from it. You're still benefiting from, you know, these effects. Yeah. And I would say, you know, to the extent that like, and what do you mean by you didn't do it? Because you're maybe benefiting from it. You know, like if your ancestors, maybe you don't own slaves, but your ancestors that did own slaves, all the wealth in Mm. your family, you're benefiting Mm. from that. Um, And I think the idea that that's just like one example. And I think that if you're not actively engaged in trying to like dismantle systems of racism and racist oppression, then like you're kind of going along with the flow. So Mm -hmm. I think we also have to reevaluate what it means to say, well, I'm not doing that. Um, Because you might, you know, maybe you're not Act, you're obviously, no, you're not actively enslaving anybody. You're not actively, hopefully, oppressing anyone. But I think thinking about are there ways in which I'm benefiting from this system might also be a helpful way to think about to reframe the idea or uh, the focus away from your own individual actions. Exactly. 
Ooh, Catherine, like you hit him, you hit him right there with that one-two punch at the end. I think, I think we just need to wrap it up. We're going to have to close it up there because I think y'all need to sit with that. You need to sit with that. So you say, oh, okay, well, I don't actively own any, you know, enslaved people. I haven't actively done anything, but you need to take a closer look. That's all I'm going to say. That is all I'm going to say. Look a little bit deeper. Okay. And don't say it wasn't me. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation by our friend Latasha Morrison, available now wherever books are sold. Get your copy. Get your copy.